0: Your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbartis, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears.
1: Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Dustin Melbartis, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Lizzie Haynes. Lizzie, how are you? Ooh, yeah, brother the cream always rises to the top and I am the cream of the crop Oh, yeah me gene I'm here to tell you right now that if you're recording an episode of a podcast Yeah out to the radio waves and forever on the world wide web You have to record a backup track. Yeah, because if you don't mean gene You might lose a little bit of your podcast intro. Yeah, Now back to your regularly scheduled program. Yeah <laughs> And hey, we've got a guest tonight. You heard him first on the Fargo episode, returning for his second time, coming to you from North Central, cold, crowded, dirty Jersey. It is Mr. (laughs) Kevin Weigand. How are you?
0: Hey, Dustin, doing well. Hi, Lizzie. Uh, Great to be back. I'm honored to be uh, on this podcast for a second time.
1: It's a real blast. It's probably my favorite part of the week, getting to watch a new movie, getting to watch an old favorite, and then just getting to talk about it. Now, we're going to start with some icebreakers here. And we'll start with you, Kevin. What is your favorite pro wrestler on-screen performance?
0: Great question. There's a surprising longer list than you would imagine of wrestlers <laughs> that have actually been in some pretty, some pretty cool movies. I, I may cop out and go for a tie answer here. Go the, for it
1: yeah the, I like more more is better
0: more is better we're you know we're only, only three of us here so why not but I'm gonna go with Hulk Hogan in Rocky three Thunderlips
1: <laughs> okay. Thunderlips
0: do you do you know have you seen that yes okay well uh, absolutely memorable performance he's only in it for like five to ten minutes but electric um and then <laughs> number two the tie I'm a, a movie I saw maybe a year or so ago called they live starring R- rowdy Roddy Piper He's the star of the movie and it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an, it's an 80s John Carpenter sort of like science fiction horror type movie, uh, where aliens come and sort of take over the world and are kind of running society from the top. And there's, there's some cool fight scenes and it's kind of like his big moment in acting. He was a big time wrestler um but yeah i've seen
1: it yeah yeah i've I've seen it on the list of carpenter movies i did a little carpenter back-to-back earlier last year with escape from new york and the thing and i remember seeing they live but i really knew nothing about it now that i know that hot rod (laughs) is in it maybe i have to revisit it Uh, lizzie how about you i don't know if you are a fan of wrestling at all but pro wrestlers they sometimes end up on screen what's your favorite performance
2: so I chose Maui from Moana. <laughs>
1: that's a that's a good choice. It's a good choice. People like that. Down role.
2: My favorite. I mean, I do really love uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and so I, I appreciate Dave Bautista in those. And I actually really am becoming a Dave Bautista fan. But yeah. I but to me, Maui Moana is a movie that I feel. A twin, a twin flame for it is just one of those sweet movies that I just will always have a soft spot for in my heart, and um, and so I just I love I love the rock in it. I like just is perfect performance. Only he could do it.
1: That's right. And Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who I believe they did an SNL skit on it, but I mean he's box office gold. Is you add yes. him to something that movie will overperform. I don't know if it is as a slam dunk as it used to be, but yeah, people really liked his performance in that. Uh, I've got a strange one because it doesn't involve a wrestler of the same gravitas as what you two chose. There is uh, a guy from the 2000s named Nathan Jones. He was a pro wrestler for only two and a half years. And he his gimmick was like he was just let out of like an Australian jail and he was <laughs> running the ring and like beating people up for real. Uh but he's oh 6'10, just huge dude. You will recognize him if you've seen the movie Troy. He is the champion of the army at the beginning, uh, Boagrius that oh. Achilles takes down. You might also recognize him as Rictus in Mad Max Fury Road, the son of the warlord. Uh he's he's the guy driving the big Jeep. Uh, and he's actually reprising the Rictus role in the upcoming Furiosa. So I think he's probably more memorable as an actor. So I went a little off the rails with uh, famous wrestlers, but I really like those two performances. Kevin, what's the last movie you saw?
0: Uh, I've been doing my, my, my rounds for the Oscars uh, that, that are coming up. So I'm trying to see all the Best Picture nominees. The last one I saw was All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. And uh, yeah, that was uh, probably a couple days ago. It's, it's a long movie, really good. Uh, I think it's uh, German it's German language you can watch it in English if you want but if you like if you like historic war movies this is uh, this is up there it's, it's a good movie
1: is it a ritual for you to go over the best picture nominees every year
0: uh, it depends on how I feel about the field I feel like this year it's a pretty interesting crop uh, so I, and I haven't seen a lot of them so I want to dig through them some years I'm kind of just disinterested uh, but 29 yeah, I heard that. 2019 was another year I did this where it was just such a loaded field. I just made sure I saw all the best pictures.
1: Nice. I usually take the time to listen to my more film worthy friends to tell me which ones to see. And I usually don't even see them anyway. I'm too busy watching old stuff. <laughs> uh, Lizzie, what's the last movie you saw?
2: So I saw a knock at the cabin talking about wrestlers and Batista. Mm-hmm. I knew M night Shyamalan movie in true Shyamalan fashion, I cannot say a word, but it (laughs) is, uh, without spoiling (laughs) it, but I left satisfied. I will say that. You know, he's actually one of my favorite directors just because he stays really true to his style. Some movies of his, I cannot stand, one of them being Lady in the Water. But I also really, but when he gets it right, he hits it out of the park.
1: Lady in the Water is one of those few movies that I just turned off.
2: I did too. And did e- too. E-
1: ejected the DVD or maybe even the VHS back in 2007, <laughs> maybe, uh, and returned it to Blockbuster satisfied that I stopped watching it. So yes. that's a credit to M. Night. I suppose. walked out of
2: the theater for that one. That was like the <laughs> only time I've ever done that where I'm like, I don't care that I wow. just spent all this money. I was that passionately angry and I've never revisited it. So we'll see. Maybe one day.
1: There's a real catharsis to making the decision, I think I'm done. I think I'm just done with this movie. I I, I wish I would have done that for Detective Pikachu.
2: Oh, I thought that was cute. I've watched that with my son though, so maybe that's why. (laughs) I, I didn't watch it with a critical eye. I was like, oh, look, there's Charizard. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I did I did leave the theater with a, a small group of friends, and I did immediately say, I think that's the worst movie I've ever sat oh, in no. a theater. But I didn't walk out on it, so it's got something for it. Uh, the last movie I saw, and it had a little bit to do with what we're going to cover tonight, was uh, I. I had a little revisit to Black Swan. Nice. On top of its accolades and on top of uh, it kind of took over the media for a moment, like, oh my gosh, have you seen it? And it was at, at a time when there was a real fervor for it. I actually missed it when there was uh, kind of a hullabaloo about the movie. Uh, but I, this is my second watch, and I, I thought, I, I always get drawn away, or I guess encaptured uh, by the music of that movie as well, uh, growing up in band and orchestra, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it was a great watch because I was in kind of an Aronofsky mood. Because tonight, Lizzie, what are we covering?
2: We are going to cover the Wrestler
1: from 2008. Yeah, two years before Black Swan, uh, the Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke, Marissa Tomei, and Evan Rachel Wood. Six million dollar budget, but it did gross twenty six million. It placed number one hundred five in the box office, so it didn't like break the bank or anything. It wasn't uh, huge on the top of the list. Right ahead of it was we all remember Street Kings, right? At 104? Anyone? Anyone? Keanu? Forrest Whitaker? Chris Evans? Street Kings? Yeah, I didn't think so. Nope. Uh, What about Shudder? That was the movie that placed behind it. Yeah, with Joshua Jackson. We love Joshua Jackson around here. We sure do. Yeah. The number one movie that year, can't blame him. That was uh, The Dark Knight. Hey, we did an episode on that. Listen to episode 83 of our podcast. Now, for The Wrestler, IMDb rating of 7.9. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics give it 98%. That's high. And our audience score gives it 88% too. Now, this is award season, and this, this movie was nominated for a bunch of awards. Best Performance by an Actor, that's Mickey Rourke. Best Supporting Role for a Female Actor, that's Marissa Tomei. It did win at the Golden Globes. It won at the BAFTAs. Uh, We had a Screen Actors Guild nomination, once again, for Mickey Rourke. Uh, We had some Independent Spirit Awards wins. One for Aronofsky, uh, for our Best Male Lead, that's Mickey Rourke. Best Cinematography, uh, Marisa Alberti. So a whole bunch of nominations and distinctions, which is wonderful. And I feel like, after watching this movie twice, uh, it's granted. Now, Kevin, this found its way onto our list because you had presented it. Had you seen this movie before?
0: Yeah, I'd seen it once before, maybe two or three years ago.
1: What what was the circumstance? Did it just come across your feed or did something Um, say, oh, you know, I never got to it? What was it?
0: it? It definitely popped across my feed. I don't think it was something I went seeking out but I was familiar with it getting some buzz when it came out in 2008 and being just like movie about a wrestler. It's like, not that interesting. Seems kind of weirdly specific. I'm, I'm going to be a pass on this back when I was in high school. And I remember kind of, you know, the, the Rotten Tomatoes was really strong. It was Aronofsky and I was like, I'll check it out. I don't really know much about Mickey Rourke and the plot seemed pretty simple and straightforward. And I was kind of wondering what it had to offer. So I, I, I watched it.
1: Lizzie, what about you? Had you seen it before?
2: I had never seen it before. So I remember all of the buzz about this movie when it first came out. And Dustin, I'm a little bit like you in the aspect that I, if I don't catch it while it's hot, then it kind of mm-hmm. just like falls away. And And so I just had never really revisited it. One of the things I love about this podcast is it gives me the opportunity to do that. I had no idea really what to expect when I first watched this movie. I feel like I should have, though, seeing as who directed it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: It was, <laughs> I wasn't fully prepared for how dark of a movie this is. This is a dark film. I also am totally detached from wrestling in all facets. So for mm-hmm. me, I found it interesting from an educational perspective of like how that fourth wall breaks – but also, man, I mean, this movie was like uh, we needed a pick-me-up afterwards. I mean, I need to watch like something oh, yeah. kids watch afterwards, like a palate cleanser. Um, but overall, I really do appreciate why this movie got the clout that it did because Aronofsky does an amazing job of exposing the human condition and Mickey Rourke was fantastic.
1: You know, I'm going to jump on something that Kevin said, which I don't think I'm that familiar with Mickey Rourke either around the actual movie making of like learning who they are. I feel like I'd ever I'd heard more about Mickey Rourke as a person than uh, performances of his. And I think that's because his heyday was before I was really paying attention. I think the only thing I'd ever seen him in before this was Sin City. Uh, Kevin, what was your experience with, with Rourke?
0: Yeah, exactly. One of those guys that was like a shooting star through the 80s that And it has an interesting career, right? Like, how many people kind of fizzle out? He So, I don't want to spoil anything here, but Mickey Rourke, huge rising star during the 80s, basically quits acting because he's over Hollywood and went back to, like, his first true love, which was, which was boxing in the early 90s, hmm. and becomes an actual boxer, and then gets back into acting after he had a lot of pretty serious injuries in the boxing rink, and was never really the same sort of, you know... A, a, Elite leading man in, in you know well-renowned films that he was in the '80s. He's kind of more of a beat-up older guy now. Uh, since then, and Sin City really brought him back to life. But I had seen uh, a couple of movies of his from, in Iron Man two, obviously. But back from his heyday, right. I'd seen a movie called Angel Heart uh, with Robert De Niro and him that was really good. And I also saw a movie called Body Heat that he's in. That's a pretty, I think, a pretty that's famous right. movie. Yeah.
1: You know, and I'd forgotten about the Iron Man 2, I think mainly because I had forgotten about Iron Man 2 in general. But right. I, 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 th- I think I, think, I he, think,
2: we all tried to.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember the name of his character, but he had like two lightning whips or something. Yeah.
2: Russian, I think. He had a, like a thick, yep. thick Russian accent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and I, I feel like, is it the closest thing to like um, – when when someone like stays in character all the time, completely method acting, he went and got his head beat in for years as a boxer, and now he really kind of owns that on screen presence. Like I, I've been beat up, and I've I've got some you know kind kind of some experience, but I'm just an like kind of a, a withered tough guy. And I would say that there are, were people from the past that have solidified that kind of character, and I'd say he is that now especially as some of those older actors pass on. I, I feel like that's that's what he was. And so coming into this movie, I had also never seen it. I remembered the buzz. I was expecting, and it wasn't because of the Aronofsky name attached to it, but I was expecting this to be gritty, which it is. I don't think I was expecting it to be quite so bleak. And that's where the the, the draw for me actually ramped up. Because I do like... You know, audience, think what you will about this. But I do like art pieces about people in pain. I like art pieces about people overcoming. And this uh, kind of scratched those kind of artistic itches that I had. Uh, Lizzie was laughing at me because as we joined the podcast recording today, I was listening to Clint Mansell's uh, Requiem for a Dream piece, Lux Eterna. Like, <laughs> you know, like the opposite of psyching yourself up, like really wearing yourself down. And so this, ki- this movie... I kind of did expect the, uh, a certain amount of darkness, but it hits you pretty hard with the bleakness. Now that you've revisited it, Kevin, do you think that it holds up still?
0: Absolutely. I it, I feel you know, I, it was a great rewatch. Uh, it's, it's a movie I probably will watch every five or so years. I think for the rest of my life. It's it's um, it, it doesn't feel like it's fifteen years old. It feels uh, you know fresh and you know just as credible as as it did when i saw it a few years ago and i'm just curious like i I think when i'm going in to see a darren aronofsky movie i'm definitely expecting bleak yeah uh so i think that comes with the territory with this stuff
1: it it totally does
2: i hadn't realized that he directed it i wasn't paying attention to that until afterwards and i was like okay (laughs) click this makes complete sense now um, but yes, I'm familiar with his movies like Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream. Um, Mother, which is just a yikes movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, after, after that, it all came into focus.
1: Mother's the one on that list that I hadn't seen. And then I remember not remembering anything about Pi. Uh, but it's not that uh, – you, kind of, you kind of wonder what direction the bleakness is going to come from. And there's another thing where, and we'll get into it later, where I I was almost expecting things to be way worse than they were. Instead, we were seeing a more realistic pain as opposed to something a little more outside of the head. And so that's where it's with with the expectations coming in. I I was pleasantly surprised with this first viewing of mine. And we're going to talk way more about this movie, but first we're going to throw it a little ad break. When we come back, Lizzie's going to give a great plot summary for this movie So if you haven't seen it, give us a pause Go watch The Wrestler from 2008 When we come back, we're going to talk more in depth See you on the other side Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast I'm Bill And I'm Jason And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters The flops, and everything in between From one of the freshest decades for movies The 1980s So whether you're a brain, a jock
0: now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.
1: And we are back discussing 2008's The Wrestler. We've got a plot summary for you. Lizzie, take it away.
2: 20 years has passed since Randy the Ram Robinson was in the spotlight within the wrestling world, noting his major move of a ram jam in which he jumps atop the ropes and slams onto his opponent. Now, Randy is wrestling in small underground venues loved by fellow up-and-coming wrestlers and cult followers. One night, the manager of the ring lets Randy know of a potential rematch between him and Ayatollah, his old opponent back in his heyday. Randy accepts, thinking this is the key to unlocking his comeback. Outside of the boxing ring is void of all glitz and glamour for Randy. He's currently locked out of his trailer for not paying his rent. He's on a slew of medications and spends his day job behind a deli counter trying not to get recognized. At night, Randy visits the strip club and cozies up to his favorite dancer, Cassidy. Cassidy, who's also experiencing her own troubles as she overhears young jerks calling her old. Later, during another wrestling match that's particularly brutal, Randy initially feels off after leaving the ring and eventually collapses. He wakes up in the hospital with the news that he's had a heart attack and can no longer wrestle. This is crushing to Randy, as Randy's entire life has been built around him as a wrestler. He has quite literally abandoned all aspects of himself outside of wrestling, including relationships with his daughter. Randy now is forced to deal with the reality that he has no connection to the world or to himself outside of the ring. One day after ruining things with Cassidy and his daughter, Randy has a colossal meltdown in the middle of the deli in which afterwards calls his old manager saying that he's in for the rematch with Ayatollah. Cassidy shows up before he enters the ring and tries to convince him to walk away, but Randy says this is the only way he knows how to be. Randy gets on the stage and gives a heartfelt thank you to his fans, and the two begin. Right away, Randy feels the effects of his heart. Ayatollah catches wind and tries to call it quits, laying on the ground for Randy to win. However, Randy won't quit. Randy stumbles onto the ropes as his heart begins to give out and finishes his signature move, the Ram Jam.
1: That's right, and our last scene of... Randy flying through the air. The last thing we see is his boots coming towards the bottom of the screen. And we hear the roar of the crowd, uh, which I believe this, you could look at this, you know, two years later, he does Black Swan, very similar themes in that with how this ends. But I was having a lot of trouble thinking about like how to start our discussion. And so I, I was thinking you could say that this movie follows just Randy. Where you could say that it follows Randy and Cassidy. Now, I prefer the former. We're looking at, like, Randy, the Ram. Like, we're looking at his career, post-career. But including both of these characters does shift our attention and our focus a little bit to, like, what it is to be past your prime. And I was sort of wondering what the focus is here. Is it on the bleakness of how hard life is afterwards, or is it just sort of the realization of being past your prime. Kevin, what do you think about this?
0: I think it's both. I think you nailed it. That's a great way to put it. Like it's it's about Randy and it does, you know, that's what works about this movie is how realistic it pulls back. How realistically it pulls back the curtain on even somebody who, you know, is headlining Madison Square Garden 20 years ago in a high-profile wrestling match, you know, maybe he yeah. was wealthy then, but right now he's beyond past his prime. And it's showing you that in gory detail. And that's what I think is really interesting. It doesn't hold back. It's very it feels like some, you know, this could be somebody living in the apartment next to you. It's it's very it's wow. probably what happens to a lot of ex-athletes and even ex-actors. Mickey Rourke kind of had an arc like this in his career. It just hits a lot <laughs> yeah. of the right notes. And I think it's interesting that he bonds with Cassidy, probably as another, you know, that's probably he sees something similar. Uh, in her that he's dealing with. And I think he, he is, you know, he warms up to that and he, he's attracted to that and he feels comfort in, in that they both kind of ha- are having that realization. I- I'm curious and, and not to just pose another question here, but is, is Randy throughout the movie, like yearning for more? Is he trying to have a, you know, a true comeback or is he kind of okay with where he is and understands who he is? Uh, Cause I would argue he's, He's not really trying to have a comeback. He's just trying to make it through his life and enjoy it. And he's, he's he knows exactly where he is and who he is. And he has some regrets, sure. But he's he's not really reaching for something more.
1: I've got an answer, but I'll let Lizzie take this.
2: I I would actually argue that he does want to come back. I think that he is const- – I, I think he doesn't know who he is unless he's inside of the ring. So I, I don't think he necessarily yearns to have – the glitz and the glamor and the fame, but he lives for the applause and he lives for the cheers. And I think he appreciates the fact that in order to get those things, he has to remain relevant in the wrestling world. And so he is, it's just a nature of the beast that he wants to fight for fame because he understands, and for that comeback Because he understands that that is how he's going to get that relevance so that he can constantly go back into the ring and hear that applause. And I think – I don't think Randy knows who he is without wrestling. So I think that's the only way that he knows how to be. So I think having fame is just the key to, I guess, coasting for him almost.
1: It's like relevance for him is what makes his life have purpose that uh, disappearing behind the deli counter is is not the ideal. I am so glad that you jumped in first, Lizzie, because I think the opposite. I do think (laughs) he knows he's washed. And I think there's heat, excitement for late career, one last match. It's a combo of, I get to relive the fame again. The big main event again. The opening credit style cheers for Randy for the Ram Ram Jam, and against Bob the Ayatollah, who the bad guy. I think he (laughs) wants that, but I think he. I think this movie does a good job of showing us slowly that he's not stupid. And I'm not saying you thought he was. I just. I think. I don't think he's a dumb guy. Uh, And I don't think he's like a big lunk. Uh, I think. I think he has an acceptance of. My career is over. This is this trailer that I'm barely able to afford. Like, like this is about all I have left. And he's gonna keep going to the tanning salon and going to get his hair done. And he's gonna keep going with the PEDs and the growth hormone with the fast talking slick uh, street peddler of the drugs. Like he's he's holding on to it because it is all that he knows. He even says something about when he hands. The little toy over to Pam slash Cassidy. Yes. It says, like, hey, you can give this to your little boy. Uh, he's hey, it's a $300 collector's item. And she says, really? He goes, no. Because he knows that he's <laughs> not worth that anymore. That's fair. And he may have been worth it some at some point. I think he was. Uh, Kevin, you hit like he's probably making a lot of money, but the lifestyle of the Being on tour with professional wrestling will take a lot out of, and that is only too true, that we hear stories all the time of the unfortunate early passing of these pro wrestlers and other athletes as well. And that's going to kick me over to something I I wanted to bring up as well, which is that this movie warrants the question what your experience with professional wrestling was going in. I think Liz, Lizzie, you said that you don't really have any experience, but what about you, Kevin?
0: Yeah, not really much. Like I, I didn't grow up following the WWE, uh, or idolizing any of these people. I kind of loosely knew who they were, but I, I always, I was more a sports guy, I, the the live sort of competitive physicality. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's what I like. And I always was like, well, I know wrestling's fake and it's scripted, right. uh, so I'm not right. that interested in it. But honestly, now as I'm older, it's like it's just so unique and weird that it's almost more interesting to me now. That it's like I can't believe yeah. these people are doing this stuff.
1: So it is both interesting and weird. Lizzie, have you ever tuned tuned into Thursday Night SmackDown or Monday Night <laughs> Raw is War?
2: Uh, I had a friend – well, I have a friend. They're still my friend that um, – shout out to Pat. Uh, that Shout watches, out to Pat. Um, that Pat Jet. Very much into WWE. And so I just by proxy would – if we went to a sports bar and it was on somewhere, he would kind of point our attention to, <laughs> yes. to the screen. But in my mind, like I, I – at the risk of just sounding – Like just so basic, I just could not never be bothered with it in my mind. Like this is just (laughs) too silly. Like I can't handle this. This is just too much for me. And um, yeah, I just have always tapped out. I've never had an interest. I will say, after watching this movie, I I still have zero interest in watching (laughs) watching wrestling.
1: Yeah, this movie wasn't meant to get you like into it. Did
2: not pique my interest, (laughs) but I do. Think I'd at least developed a respect for what these people go through. I mean, it's brutal. I don't, I can't say I completely understand it, but I can at least respect the craft of they're very devoted to what they do and they're really hurting themselves out there.
1: They are really hurting themselves. They're going through incredible, rigorous training. Now, here's something that I, I always think is kind of fun when you're with. Loose acquaintances. When you are with your closest friends, occasionally you learn something new about the people that you know. And I was a huge wrestling fan. I think until maybe freshman or sophomore year of high school, where uh, every Monday night, and I, I, I will say my uh, my dad took me to a pay per view show uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. Actually,
2: nice. Um, so I nice. see.
1: And my heyday was um, starting with like. Uh, Brett the Hitman Hart and Shawn Michaels back in the 90s. I was I was a little too young for the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan days. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage was still a big deal when I was around. And I, I paid attention for a while. And then I remember a college roommate turning on uh, wrestling one night. And I remember specifically the frame of what I saw, which was two wrestlers with microphones in front of their faces like... Yelling at each other. They were doing a kayfabe fight. Like they were, they were dissing each other. And the diss was happening. The two people were on the left and right side of the screen because the center of the screen was a movie poster for John Cena's most recent movie. And it was very clear: like, this isn't even about the supposed fight between these two. This is just a two-minute-long advertising for some John Cena movie. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really gone that direction and it's incredibly weird and still exciting. Now Kevin, you said something like oh, I was more into like actual sports <laughs> and it makes makes me wonder, uh, have you ever like seen an update from espn.com where they show you like an update on the events of like WrestleMania and you're like, what are you doing ESPN? <laughs> yeah,
0: that would immediately jump out as like, did I set up a an alert for a for something by accident, um, <laughs> it, it, it's not mainstream sports, right? Like boxing, yeah. even even um, UFC, are, yeah. is like fringe mainstream. This is, you know, it's it's not even that. It's it's a step below that, but still a very big market for it, as as we pointed out.
1: Well, speaking of like mainstream, it's not catching the people that are into the the traditionally athletic, like the big four American sports but i believe i saw because i still pl- i stay plugged into the news surrounding particularly uh, i love hearing interviews from old wrestlers about like their time when they were on tour or like what somebody was really like these people can be you know they're real people and they've got lives but they they're they're strange the people that get attracted into that world are strange and when they leave that world they're still strange i'm still connected to like the media of it and i believe WWE, Vince McMahon is the most recent figure I saw was something like $12 billion for its sale, if you can believe it. That's a big number. So, this is this, it's still incredibly popular. I've got friends who are still super excited about like hitting every pay per view. It's just not really for me, but this movie is definitely for me. Uh, so, was there anything about this movie that's wrestling related that uh, was kind of a shock? To, I mean, you said behind the curtain, but was kind of a shock to see or something that like, oh, I never really considered it that way.
2: I remember, so early on in the movie, he takes a razor blade and snaps it and then tapes it onto his wrist. And Aaron and I are debating, my husband and I were debating of like what that is because you can't completely tell in the very beginning. And I'm like, why is he, what is he doing with a razor blade? Why is he doing that with a razor blade? Mm Mm-hmm. And Aaron's like, I don't think that's a razor blade. I'm like, yes, it is. And I'm thinking – I had imagined that was going to go in a totally different direction.
1: I want to hear what you were imagining because I I had actually made a note about the razor blade. So (laughs) I want to hear it.
2: I had not seen this movie. So I was thinking like, is he – and I mean I watch a lot of like slasher movies. So I'm thinking, is he about (laughs) to like crank it up to 11 and just like, like – murder this Kills guy. Like, on the <laughs> like what is he about to do with this razor blade? Oh, and I was thinking that he had it on his wrist and that while they're fighting, he keeps putting his wrist up in the air kind of to kind of make this like jabbing motion. And I'm thinking like, is he going to poke this razor blade out and just slash this guy? I had no idea what to expect. And then it was revealed when his opponent Pushes him on the ground. He takes the razor blade out and cuts his own forehead with the blade to try to depict as if he's, you know, that opponent the big actually bludgeoning really got him. damage
1: caused him this trauma. When yeah. in reality, it is, you could say it's scripted, it's it's fake. He just cuts himself a little bit to so where he can get some blood for the show of it.
2: Exactly. Yes. To be like, oh, you really got me there. And it's, um, yeah. It was, that was jarring. I had no idea that. And, like, the barbed wire and the staple guns, like, it was just – that was a lot. And I had no idea that that kind of stuff actually happened. I always imagined, again, because I never watched wrestling, right? that it's almost choreographed in movies, how you – when you're about to punch somebody in a movie, you just get really close to their face and then the other person just knocks their neck back. Yeah. I always imagined it was completely fake and um, – so it, it was news to me that they're really getting getting hurt out
0: there. That's a great point. Like it's fake. The outcomes are fake. It is scripted. You know, these people might not actually be great fighters, but at the end of the match, they're still pulling staples out of people. Like that's real. Yeah. Like these people are in some pain. Like they're cutting. They're giving themselves scars. Like there is a, a element to it that is real. Um, so I also didn't fully appreciate that it wasn't a hundred percent fake, like you said in a movie where you know it's fake blood or it's something like that like there is a degree to where it is actually like whoa this is real um my favorite part though of wrestling related and this is probably my my favorite little stretch of the movie for whatever weird reason is just watching all the behind the scenes prep for the match uh spray tanning steroids the Mm -hmm. hair the hair (laughs) buying uh you know like Aluminum foil, trash can lid type things fit for props. Yes,
2: that was a great thing. I, I, yeah,
0: I,
1: he did the over the counter yeah. treatment.
0: Yeah, I, I loved all that stuff. Like just seeing how slapped together it all was, and how improvised it was, and you know the stuff that they do to get ready for for this. They, you know, they're professionals and they've they got to do these things you don't think about when they show up in the ring.
1: Oh yeah, and you got to think it's a it's a tour. To yeah. where these these people are going from city to city to city, likely in the same vehicles, on the same plane, or in the same bus, or at this level, like in the same van that somebody found a cheap deal. So we're all going to pile in this van and go, you know, to Atlantic City, and that's when we're going to do this fight. And then we got to go up, uh, you know, if they're lucky, you know, MSG. But like, there's, it's these people have to like live with each other. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals traveling together. That like oh, this is th- these people are human. They live with one another, and they they. I, I actually really enjoyed that too. Is when Randy is showing up to the room with all the other wrestlers in it, and they're all just like chatting. And <laughs> oh, how's your brother? You know, how are you? Oh man, I love I, you. Did a great job. All right, hey, it, we got to get the crowd over. So I'm really going to work your leg. <laughs> and then somebody off screen goes. No, actually we're doing a work, The like, leg. Oh, okay. Well maybe <laughs> we work the neck. Um, like they're, they're workshopping it. It's like an improv troupe. It's funny. Yes, very much so. It's funny. And I believe that's, that's really accurate. I believe that's real that these, these people forge really great relationships and they forge actual like rivalries. Now we didn't get any like negative relationships from Randy's side with the other wrestlers most of the people he seems to interact with sort of respect his gravitas wouldn't you say like he he's kind of known as oh this guy's really putting in his time even way past his prime
2: oh yeah i mean even Ayatollah who is supposed to be his big opponent when he sees that Randy's hurting he's like hey let's call this yeah. like uh, let's call it a day like there's um you know these big buff guys that talk such a big game to each other but then like you said, it's like they're all one big team in the locker room, kind of deliberating what they're going to do. And I did really yeah. appreciate that camaraderie. It was, it was, it made all of that really watchable and easy to digest for me.
0: Yeah. You compare yeah. it to something like, like the Rocky franchise, which is obviously very different, but like th- those fighters, those opponents, they all hate each other on a physical on right. a personal level. And in the ring, it's, it's war. And this is the exact opposite. It's, you know, we're, we're actors in a play together. How can we, you know, sell the audience?
1: What a great way of putting it. Yeah. We're putting on a show. That's why we're here. We're the traveling circus. Mm -hmm. It's closer to a circus than it is to football. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought that was great too. Now um, I had known about cutting. I had known about like folding chairs. There are still people that fly off of stuff and land into tables. All that stuff's real. Now, like, like as far as the physical damage that can be done to people, I think it's likely we're at a position where as it's the the point of where ex wrestlers or late career wrestlers end up meeting early demise is likely due to drug addiction, uh, alcohol addiction, like uh, abuse of the things that they needed in order to maintain their own bodies. Now, with Randy in this. Movie, it's it's the hardcore match against an actual hardcore wrestler, a guy named Necro. I think his that's his name in the movie too. But like, that's what this guy does. He puts on hardcore rules matches, and like the the shots of their backs full of these tacks, and the doctor comes in like, all right, I'm gonna it hurts, but I'm gonna take it out or these staples like that. It's all for the purpose of well, we gotta we gotta make money here. (laughs) like the we are all collecting cash from the gate and it reminds me of another poignant scene when he just gets out of the hospital and waiting there not even in an envelope a piece of paper folded up is like a couple 50s and a whole bunch of 20s like hey great job you did a great job at the show here's your cut it's like oh that's kind of all this business is at this point in this sort of past your prime time
2: yeah i mean it's It's so brutal to think about what they have to go through for such a little amount of money. But I think he does it because it's really all he knows. He doesn't know any different. And um, I remember hearing this awesome theory that when you become famous, you're stunted emotionally and just kind of you're… Not necessarily your intelligence, but certainly certainly your emotional intelligence is stunted at the age that you become famous. Hmm. So you're never really maturing past that age. And so assuming that Randy became super famous when he was, I don't know, maybe really early 20s perhaps in the 80s, I'm not exactly sure, um, I guess – Probably actually a little earlier, a little later in life for him for that, because thinking we're only fast forwarding twenty years. But just to think that as a young man with all of that fame, he's just becoming emotionally stunted. And this is all he knows. So, so that's days-
1: why Leo can't date anyone over twenty five years. <laughs> that's
2: out. right. That's right. Exactly. Uh-huh. What I mean.
0: Also, it's it's interesting, like if you think about other professions where you could hit a really, you know, impressive level of fame. You, you do acquire a certain skill or know-how that like maintains value. Like in, in pro sports, right. You could become a coach. You're learning like, you know, that, that happens with a lot of people. You could become a commentator, but like, you know, he doesn't really have a, a huge market for what he does. He, he is this, yeah. you know, this, he was an action figure and now he's a broken action figure and there's new ones. And he's kind of, not really equipped to do much else. And he, you know, he doesn't have a lot of experience doing other things. He could probably be a, you know, a weightlifting coach or something like that. But I, I don't know if there's, you know, it, there's a huge drop down in terms of the market for, you know, his abilities, uh, if he does anything else, uh, compared to staying in wrestling.
1: Yeah. You got away with words, a broken action figure. Uh, there was something about what you just said. I think Everybody wants to be able to call it quits on their own accord. The first I had ever heard of this was if you're if you're a pro sports guy. Remember when Tiki Barber retired at 30 years old running back for the Giants? Yeah. And it was huge news like this guy's this guy is the one of the best running backs in the league. How is he how is he quitting? I was like, "I don't want to do this to my body anymore, y'all." And and right now I think we just had a we just had a cornerback retire from the league today. And we're we're recording end of February, who uh, had broken the world record for broad jump during his NFL combine. Uh, just an incredible athlete, one of the most fantastic athletes the NFL has ever seen. Byron Jones, and, I think. Uh, Byron Jones, and yeah. he tweeted out today, "Hey, I I can barely walk, and I can't run. Yeah, um, I can't do this anymore. So you you always want to quit on your own accord, and." Randy doesn't get to. Randy is told, You can't wrestle anymore. He gets the diagnosis, You can't wrestle anymore. And I actually think he takes it well. What do you think, Lizzie, about like the news? I think he transitions into like, Well, it sucks. It's not the news he wanted to hear. But I think he makes that transition rather quickly.
2: I think eventually, I think at first, yes, because. there's a really endearing scene where he's in the deli counter and he's serving everybody their mac and cheese. Yeah. He's like, it's what I say. It's like, it's fresh as monkey's breath, you know, it's (laughs) it's getting all together. And and you can tell he's He's got a little pep in his step. Yes. Like he's really enjoying himself. And I think he genuinely tries to, but I think kind of what I was saying earlier about kind of being emotionally stunted is I don't think he has the tools to really know how to move forward and i think that he tries to take the news well but then when he's forced
1: yeah, good point
2: to deal with when his two worlds collide and i think that's when he just breaks down and then he just goes right back because he doesn't know how else to be
1: is there a world where is there is there a diverging path and i you know i keep forgetting his last name Randy the Ram, I know his name's technically Robin. Do you remember his last name? Ramzinski or something like that?
2: Yeah. Something like that, yeah. That's what it yeah. is.
1: Robinson. But like but it's probably a fake stage name. But anyway, is there a world where Randy the Ram Robinson re- like retires from wrestling and spends the rest of his life in deli counter to potentially mid management of grocery store and like has a relationship with Stephanie, his daughter, and like it, with ex- enough acceptance, he just kind of fades away? Or was he maybe doomed to never accept that?
2: I think that there's a w- world where he could. Absolutely. I think that, Dustin, you brought up a question earlier the very top of the podcast where if the story was going to be about Randy or if it's about Cassidy. And I think Cassidy – does that, right? Like we don't know what life is going to hold for Cassidy after she retires from from, from the strip club. We just know that she has this new neighborhood that she wants to move in and she wants to move there. She wants to quit stripping. She wants to provide for her son. And I think she's like, she doesn't have all of the chips figured out, but I think she at least has direction and is okay with taking it one day at a time. I think that Mm. There is a world where Randy could be there and could work behind the deli counter and just kind of be happy with sharing. Potentially, that one customer that recognized him, it could be like a cool thing that they share back and forth and maybe he signs his pimento cheese and just (laughs) gives it back to him and they have like a really great exchange. There is – but I think what Randy's problem is, is that he has – I don't know if it's – I think maybe calling it pride is too much, but he just gets in his own way. He's his own worst enemy in the fact that he doesn't know how to step outside of his comfort zone. He only knows what is, and that is his downfall.
1: Well, and it's also this world doesn't exist because Aronofsky's in it.
2: That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's not over.
1: There's a string of events that leads to the, our downfall here. And it's, it's on a couple of days since I've seen it, but I believe it's something like he is, is interested in kind of making Cassidy his gal. And I, I do, I do want to talk more about her, but uh, he's kind of interested in, in that. And she puts up this wall, even though we can tell there's an interest back, she puts up this wall. I can't go home with customers. I can't be seen with you. And, uh, I think it's the rebuff at the bar. That leads to him going to see a show as a fan. And it's after he sees a show with as a fan, he hangs out with some of the other wrestlers and goes to the after party. The after party is where too much alcohol, a couple tequila shots. I don't know if he uses anything else, but uh, he ends up, uh, you know, with the girl in the bathroom. And then after that is what leads to him being so exhausted that he can't meet his date with Stephanie. And so this is all, it's all linear in this way is that like, and then because he can't make his date with Stephanie and he ends up falling out with her, that then he d- he makes the decision. I just have to get back in the ring.
0: Oh, yeah, that's exactly the sequence. He's just kind of like, like you said, he's he knows what's happening, kind of proof to himself that he's, you know, failing at almost everything. He's his own worst enemy. He's failing at all the things he needs to do outside of the ring. And I think he just kind of says, you know what? Screw it. I I'm mad at myself. I know this isn't good for me, but I'm going for it because that's what I've got. And that's where the movie kind of shifts into this, like this very existential realm of like, you know, what do, what, you know, what do you do with your, with your time here on earth? And and that gets me thinking about that kind of stuff. And I I think it becomes kind of a, you know, you say bleak, but there's like a very like heartfelt sweetness to this movie too, where it's uh, like, I just kind of really accepting, you know, what he loves and what, who loves him back, and and going for it, and uh, it, that's kind of the last and the last third of the movie is really him him heading in that direction.
1: I think you're right. I think we w- there's still an amount of like he understands what he is and what he can do, and that while we as the audience are watching him make that realization, it is um, appropriate. Like like you're kind of agreeing with the like the choice that he feels like he must make. Now we we talked about Stephanie a little bit. We learned that Randy was absent as a father. remains absent mainly due to Stephanie's wishes. Uh, From my wrestling lore kind of history, it's well known that the tour can take you away from your family or you end up raising your children within the wrestling world, uh, which is how we get a lot of retired wrestlers become uh, involved in the business side or they become trainers. If you look up like any any wrestler any pro wrestler on wikipedia it'll it'll give you a hyperlink to who they were trained by and all of the and all of those people who were trained by they used to be pro wrestlers and then on their wikipedia page they'll show you who they were trained by like the world is big but in this instance the wrestling world took randy away from not really mentioned mother but also stephanie How do you rank the importance of this strained Randy-Stephanie relationship to the overall force of this movie?
2: I think Stephanie is an amalgamation of what could be for Randy. I think that he looks at his daughter in the sense of all the things that he should have done. And and I think initially, you know, with the the initial run-in that they have where she you know, blesses him out. And then I think with the gift and then they go on a nice little walk together and then they agree to go on their date. It's like in the very beginning, Stephanie is this representation of all of the the life that Randy could have had. And then later she represents the potential of what could be. And – when that relationship becomes completely closed off, when she just writes him off 100%, like we are done, I never want to see you again, that's Mm -hmm. when everything falls apart for him because now he no longer has any crutch or connection tethering him.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yes. So he just, it's completely over for him in his mind.
0: I think you said it really well, Lizzie. I think he knows that he was, he obviously knows he wasn't a good father. But in a weird way, I don't know if he totally regrets not being there. And, hmm. he, and when he says, he says, I think he says, I just don't want you to hate me. I think that's what he says. And it's kind yes. of like, I know I was bad. I had to do do it for me. But like, I just don't want you to hate me. Like, that's all I want is just you not to hate me. I think that's like a really nice line. Really, it really shows it where he's coming line. from. Yeah.
1: And that's a great scene on the pier or by the shore. It's kind of a gray day. They're going on their walk. It's clearly cold. As part of that, that monologue, you could say, he also says something like, I was the guy that was supposed to save the day and make everything okay for everybody. And I think what's likely happened and is off screen and is unexplained is that there was a lot of money made, and it got lost somehow, likely in a selfish way. That is what led to Stephanie saying, you didn't do anything for us. Like He recognizes that he, he, he failed in that aspect, but I think he's also, he, perhaps he's not being 100% truthful into thinking that uh, his role as a star was for the purpose of making everything okay for the family back home. I don't know if that's true. I, I think, think he it. was maybe more involved with I'm a star.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit like in Breaking Bad and like the beginning when Walter's like, everything I do, it's for my family. And like, maybe so. But once we reach season four, it's like, ah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is not for your family anymore. And uh, no, I completely agree. I feel like and from my perspective, it's, well, I don't know how else to be. So this is just what I'm going to do.
0: He's just super aware of who he is, where his yes. boundaries are, where his comfort zone is. He's ultra
1: aware of all that stuff.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of things he doesn't know, uh, but he does in a way know thyself. He kind of knows what he is and what he, what he can be. With this sort of atmosphere that we're in, we've got the 80s sort of glam rock and pop rock of uh, Bang Your Head, Metal Health. Uh, I think it's actually the end of the movie where he, he enters the ring to sweet child of mine, which I don't think uh, had been in the movie beforehand. It was much more of the Motley crew, but we got that scene in the bar with Cassidy where they're, they're rocking out to the music. And that's where like, you get to see that you get to see him really joyful for a moment. Don't we? Where, and and I think Lizzie, you'd maybe said the emotional stunted, like when you get famous and, and like, there's a reason why both of them are saying like, yeah, the nineties sucked. This is yeah. when things were good. and <laughs> I, <it's>, what?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's both joyful and sad to see them like only reveling in the past in that way. Uh, so it, it also, it brings in this character of, of Cassidy. I think there's only one thing I would really want to point out that struck me when watching this movie, which is, um, and maybe this, maybe you would call this as not holding up, but uh, we've certainly made the movement towards, uh, you know, sex work is work and all work is valid. And I think she suffers from some. It might be her own recognition of the "quote unquote" past her prime, which Marissa Tomei, you're not. Uh, but
2: <laughs> no, she's gorgeous. The,
1: the idea of like, I think she suffers from like some low self esteem.
2: Yes, I would. I would agree with that. I think she feels. Throughout the movie, that she is lost. But I think a lot like Randy, she is aware that she's lost. I don't think that she's in any way naive to to her state of being. And I think, but I think she represents what could be. I think her and Randy are completely parallel to each other in the aspect of where they're at in life. But she is able to at least acknowledge that things could be different. And that's kind of what she's striving for. But yeah, I would say she's, when you meet her, she's just, she's really lost. She doesn't know what she wants and where she wants to go. And I think she definitely has feelings for Randy, but she won't let herself act on them. And she's, she's a little all over the
0: place. I think Randy has some, uh, some low self-esteem too. I think that's a, hmm. a an interesting, like, it, it's probably pretty deep in there, but it's like talk about a guy who won't. Go outside of his comfort zone, uh, or 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 when he tries and fails, he's right back in. That's that's low self esteem. You know, he's 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 kind of scared about you know messing up out there, and, and he feels like he will uh, going outside the ring. The one thing he's been praised for, and you got to wonder why guys even get into wrestling in the first place. I wonder if there's some some low self esteem trends there too uh, that are kind of in that sort of pumping your body up to you know superhero like proportions
1: and. Yeah, you know, know, sometimes I ask the question, not really knowing where we're going to go with it, but it did bring me back around to another point. I was thinking, Uh, do you remember when they're all in the room kind of chumming it up with it uh, with each other, talking about their plan for the wrestling show? And there's a lot of them working out with resistance bands. It might make you think like any time that you see like (laughs) in a movie or a TV show, like somebody training or somebody like weightlifting and you think to yourself like, oh, well. Like, are they going to eat their protein afterwards? Are they going to like finalize their pump or whatever? And I remember my dad telling me this, like, yeah, all of these pro wrestlers right before they hit the stage are going to go do a bunch of real low, high reps, low weight on the chest. And they're going to do a bunch of resistance stuff so that they can get a pump so that the show can be better. Cause they are like superheroes. They're like action stars. And and to think that like that is so important to how they view themselves, that mm-hmm. if they aren't the pinnacle, if you were to look at any aged wrestler looking at themselves in the mirror compared to what they used to be, how there would have to be this twinge of, I don't want to say self-loathing, but there would be like, a, oh, that's what I once was. And to the world, that's what I was. It's wild to think about, to get into the head of how somebody at the end of their career who is sitting in a Lions Club signing autographs for 8 bucks. We talk about a bleak scene. Let's talk about that scene where everyone is kind of sitting there just kind of decrepit, crippled. Like, all right, uh, yeah, if you want to take a picture with me, it's going to be $10. You guys ever been to a shopping mall where you've seen, like, the memorabilia or, like, someone's doing a signing?
0: Yes. Yes. I, I paid for them, and they were not as depressing as that.
1: That one was like a super depressing you example. Can't, you of can't different. top that. Yeah. That's as that's as depressing as it gets.
0: Well, I think it yeah. can
2: get depressing, and I think especially with with Randy's piece, I would. I think he absolutely. You guys hit the nail on the head that he has low self esteem, and I think it really stems from the fact that he lives for himself. Like he is living only for his own pleasure, and I think when you Do that. Maybe for a while it'll work out, but you are eventually going to run out of steam because it just life doesn't work like that. Like it's it's too singular. There's there's more to life and connections and people and love. And he's missing out on all of that. And if you're only living for the here and now and to be the strong man, your body is going to break down on you, and then you're not going to have anything left. And I think to bring it really quickly back to Cassidy. What makes her different and I think why she can see more because she's probably equally as uh, insecure as he is, is the fact that she lives her life for her son. And so she recognizes, okay, so I, I, I don't know what my next move is going to be, but I know I have to figure it out one step at a time because it's not just about me.
1: What a great way of putting that because it, it is very clearly shown to you that like this is what matters to me. You know, we've talked about the whole like idea of like the theme of this, but we've also got a, a stellar performance from Mickey Rourke. Uh, I believe I read somewhere that uh, a critic had said, "Like this is the role he was born for," and I think I would agree.
0: I would totally agree, and I think I think Aronofsky wrote this for him in mind
1: specifically,
0: and. There's like a whole backstory of like Nicolas Cage being super attached to the I lead role that. here. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. And then there's this, there's this drama of like Nicolas Cage was too busy and worried he couldn't bulk up in time for the role and like wanted to give it to Mickey and there's another story that he was let go and it, there, there's a and then there was Mickey Rourke since he was a wrestler for like 5 years he was first to, firstly very put off by how the wrestlers sort of interacted behind the scenes and so, like how they spoke to each other, how they, you know, maybe talked about choreographing things. And he was like vehemently against the way the script was and only agreed to do it if Aronofsky let him sort of redo all of the dialogue uh, the way he wanted to do it. Uh, huh. And Aronofsky signed off on that. Um, so, you know, a lot of this is Mickey Rourke really injecting his own sort of experience into this. And then um, also, he did steroids for the role. He used steroids, yeah, to get, you know, that body. We're like, he's got a steroid body in (laughs) this movie. It makes perfect sense. And I bet this isn't the first time he's done them either.
1: It kind of fits into what we were talking about with, like, the difference between, like, quote-unquote real sports and performance sports is that, like, if there's not some type of, like, competitive advantage, like, it's one thing to be good. It's another thing to be a champion like another thing to win. Yeah. And when performance enhancing drugs help you win, we have a problem. When performance enhancing drugs just help you perform, maybe we don't have so much of a problem. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. I Um, bet
2: the insurance on that movie was through the roof.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: couple, Just a couple more like interesting little parallels I found. Uh, Yeah. Mickey Rourke's father basically left, his family when he was a child to be a professional bodybuilder, which is pretty interesting when you think about his role in this movie, um, you know, sort of being absent for his child. And then yeah. uh, the song he walks out to, Sweet Child of Mine, talked about it earlier, Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, Axl Rose donated that song for free to the movie because I had a limited budget because when Mickey Rourke was a professional wrestler in the 90s, that was his walkout song when he came out into
1: the ring. Oh, so, nice little Easter so egg. Yeah. it makes a little more sense because I, the movie starts with mental Health and I felt like that was the Ram Jam kind of walkout song. And so that, I love that you provided that little factoid because it makes a lot more sense and especially when a, a role becomes personal to yeah. the
0: actor. That's the takeaway, right? This is a deeply personal performance role, everything. All, this is a Mickey Rourke movie.
1: Yeah. And I, I think he, he seals the deal with his performance um, and doing some really quality, uh, though the character may lack the emotion. Because the, uh, I agree with what, what Lizzie was saying about his emotional stuntedness. Um, when he is sort of pleading with Stephanie, it's, it's not just about the tears. It's about, and it seems like his face has taken a beating. Sorry, Mickey Rourke. But he, he really does sell that yearning. It's a desperation that like, I don't I don't have really much left. And of what I have left, I'm going to put towards saving this relationship.
0: Apparently, he had a lot of botched facial reconstructive surgeries in the 90s uh, that he was trying to basically rebuild his face after taking such a beating from being a boxer to be an actor again. And like some of the surgeries didn't go well. And that's kind of why his cheeks looked a little weird and stuff like that. Um, So that's, that's actually real too.
1: (laughs) And and yeah, and it feels like it fits, but yeah. uh, You know, speaking of Mickey, I will say I want to give him all the accolades, but I think we should just get to the accolade giving time of the show. Let's do some awards. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Kevin, as our guest, I'd like you to tell me who's your MVP.
0: I mean, come on. It's Mickey Rourke. Easy. I I don't want to overthink this one. Uh, this is this is his movie. This this will be the you know, the first the first movie that is referenced. I think when you when you know, when, it, when you look back at his
1: career will be this one. Yeah, I, I agree with the sentiment. I'll jump the line and say he was mine as well. So, Lizzie, who's your MVP?
2: Three for three. I for think three. the only option.
1: Yeah, I, and I think there is the potential that we would go with our director, Aronofsky. We did mention that like, we kind of have an idea of what to expect, particularly with Aronofsky. He, he did this in Black Swan as well with like the shaky camera following behind. It's almost documentary style. Yeah, I'm not going to say something like, oh, I've seen that before, but I think he deserves some credit. But in, in, in the end, I believe this will be remembered for a Mickey Rourke performance more so than it will be what was put together by Darren.
0: Agreed. Yeah, he's got other great movies that are maybe more distinct than this one, um, in different ways. But this one will be Mickey's movie.
1: Yeah, like movies that really cheer me up, like Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, who is your best supporting actor, Kevin?
0: You know, there's not too many choices, which is kind of cool. I like these really kind of
1: yes, you, intimate, you know, stripped
0: down. Yeah. So you could. I I I was thinking really his daughter, Stephanie or, or Cassidy were sort of the two, the two big choices here. And yeah. I, I'm going with, with Cassidy, Marissa Tomei. Um She's, she's a little less utilized or underdeveloped as a character, I think than she could have been just given like how the movie set up, but she's awesome when she's in it. And uh, you know, I think she was nominated as well. So i
1: um, giving it to her. That's right. And it is award season. Uh, Lizzie, who is your best supporting actor?
2: Kevin, you and I are on the same wavelength. I put Cassidy as well. I think she's the only hope in this movie. You know, without her, without Cassidy, a bleak movie would be even bleaker. You know, at the very end, when he's about to go on stage, and he's like, no, this is all that I have. And she says, hey, like, I'm here. I'm here.
1: And she meant it. You can tell.
2: Yes. I mean, it's, uh, she really hit it out of the park. Like you build a connection with her and you root for her. So I loved her performance.
0: Did yeah. you get any like Rocky Adrian vibes? Cause I, I did on the rewatch. I was like, this is the same. Like she's standing up in the, in the seats looking like kind of all yeah. worried. Like I, I got a little bit of that. And then I started thinking about like how this is just like sort of similar to Rocky, but very different as well. But, uh, Rocky's let at the beginning. Of his what, career. I got. Yeah.
1: what I got from that is, I've seen, I've seen all the Rocky films and I do like them. I have not started watching the Creed films. They look awesome. I just, I'm behind on everything. But I will say I wasn't getting Rocky Adrian because I've never felt the full force of that dynamic of that relationship. I was getting more of the classic running through the airport to meet your love. That's what I was getting, okay. And, and, and it was kind of filmed that way too. And it's mainly because I don't have I don't put the weight on the Rocky Adrian thing, and it may, it might be just because of the nature of <laughs> Stallone, or it might just be because of that particular uh, movie franchise. But I, I do know what you mean, and uh, I, the the care, like the I don't want you to go, I have to go, is is I think it also draws back to sort of like wartime movies, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but, uh, hey, I'm actually going to go three for three here too. Marissa Tomei can do no wrong. Um, and if she's on screen, I'm smiling. And th- I think her her performance was great. Uh, and sometimes, I, I've said this before, but sometimes the character is written in a way to where you, you, you're you wondering if you're rooting for the character or the performance. But I think in this case, it's both. Yes. Uh, and Lizzie, you said something great about how she she's acting on behalf of her son. I think both of these characters realize that, like, and it's it's hard to do this. And sometimes you phase in and out of this, but I know I've definitely felt that like I'm alone and I got to do it alone. And I think what she realizes is that I might not have to do it alone and I might be able to take him with me. And that little dream gets deferred, gets lost because, yes. no, he's not coming with. Uh, let's go to a hidden gem. Kevin, a little underappreciated minor element.
0: I have a couple here, if you don't mind. Not at all. One, just all the, you know, this central, this movie just screamed central Jersey. And that's where I am right now. And it, it's like, Dirty Jersey. I, I just like see these places everywhere. Like the, the supermarket, he, uh, he's in an Acme supermarket, I believe. Like he's, um, it's th- that, that, that boardwalk is in Asbury park. I think they use that in Sopranos as well. Like it's, it's just a very like Jersey, some of the town names, like you wouldn't know them unless you've kind of been here. I think they just nailed that. Uh, that vibe. I, so that's a little hidden gem. I just wanted to throw out for the Jersey people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess my, and another tiny one, the video game, the Ram Jam video game. Yeah. Uh, was, was like an old, like Nintendo video game that apparently they created just for the movie, uh, which is pretty cool. Um <laughs> I don't know I wonder,
1: have- yeah I wonder if they could actually it, cuz it, it's either they created the video of of, of a game that was 8 bit like that or they created a game that you could like move the wrestlers around either yeah. option's great but it sounds like they actually made a functioning game which is incredible.
0: And, and then the, the last one I'll throw out are just like I think it's interesting that like they're they're throwing all these 80s references out there with all the bands and stuff like that and then there's there's a, there's some like late 2000s little references in here that i just want to throw little little shout outs to there's like a call of duty 4 reference uh that was a big Uh game back then i remember when i was a kid and there's like a vampire weekend poster on the wall
1: i Um, saw that in stephanie's room
0: yeah so like it's it's the time capsule going both ways when you're looking at at it now so uh
1: i was just talking to my cousin about listening to or like seeing a vampire weekend show i think two months ago uh, yeah, I, I noticed that poster on the wall as well. Lizzie, a hidden gem for you, so I
2: put Scott Siegel, who is the drug dealer in the movie because he is an actual drug dealer in real life. I read. My dis- <laughs> <laughs> I, did <What>? <laughs> I did some research on the movie, just like reading some of the little factoids of it. And apparently he was arrested about a month later for steroid possession.
0: <laughs> <Come on. laughs> like oh, man. movie.
2: I was like, "Wow, way to do this guerrilla style, Darren! I wouldn't have expected it any different." From
1: Cannot believe it. Anything
0: like, less than you? Who can I find in Central <laughs> exactly. Jersey?
1: And, uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't believe it that <laughs> that because he was caught before the movie came out. <laughs> that, yes, him, yes had,
2: exactly. Yes, we didn't even get to see the premiere.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh well. Uh, well, mine mine is actually the the technical jargon of the wrestling world. I was going to go with uh, watching Pam Sun play with the Ram Jam action figure, but the the technical jargon is really good. There's there's one in particular that's very early that made me think that this was Aronofsky diving deep into a niche kind of world, the same way that he did with ballet with uh, Black Swan. Is the guy he's fighting the 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 Mohawk guy? says something like, I'm thinking I do a low blow for the pop so we can get the heat and I'll f- follow it with a bulldog. And then <laughs> after that, well and so the low blow into bulldog, you see it in the ring. You see him do that exact thing. And normally I would expect with like choreography that like, Oh, this has to be planned ahead of time. And you have to, you have to know you're blocking and, You have to rehearse it, but it sounds like they just made it up on the fly and it it happens. And the filming of those in the ring shots is also very good, very close. So I thought that was another thing I had going for it. But yeah, the the technical jargon was for me. You've got a tough one, Kevin. Recast someone in this movie. Who are you going to recast?
0: Yeah, there wasn't any like characters I had a problem with per se. So I just had some fun with it. And uh, I went with that guy, Necro. And Mm -hmm. I would, I I suggested, I I don't think he has the right body for it. So it might not go well, but do you guys know who Brett Gelman is?
1: Yes, I do. do.
0: They they kind of look alike. So I feel like that could have been a funny, wack guy (laughs) to have in that role that kind of looks just like him uh, and would be, you know, it would be fun.
1: I think Brett Gelman's probably most mainstream thing perhaps is he was in season two of Stranger Things. Is that correct?
0: I think he might be in every season um, of Stranger Things. And There's he's he's in Fleabag as well, which is a very popular show.
1: That's right. I know him from uh, Improv Comedy World. Uh, he's hilarious, dude. I think that's a smart that's a smart recast. Speaking of the comedy world, I, I almost targeted Todd Barry. I think Todd Berry holds a special place in a lot of uh, people our age and older uh, of of his comedy. But I think he played the uh, the Acme Mart manager well. Who's your recast, Lizzie?
2: So I would have thought. It would have been cool if they had recast Ayatollah for The Rock, but as himself rather than as Ayatollah. I thought it would have been really neat to have like this meta reference to be like let's instead of having him fight somebody that quite possibly is also washed up and kind of in a similar situation as him, why don't have somebody that crossed over and – was able to stay relevant and then had big success. So not only is this a fun comeback, but this is also somebody that's completely representing all the things that he maybe wanted at one point, but was never able to, to reach.
1: Wow. And,
2: um, I thought that would have been kind of cool.
1: That would be kind of cool. It, bizarre. Bizarre. I think you just want to I mean, see more a, Dwayne The Rock Johnson.
2: It's a bizarre movie. He's <laughs> like, do you smell? <laughs> So
1: you if you smell la la, la, la okay <laughs> well, um so I have got something close to that actually I'm actually also going after Bob Ayatollah here um, the actor did a fine job as as portraying like the guy who's like, he's successful he runs like a car dealership in New Mexico and or Arizona sorry and I was thinking there it would be fun to get uh, another actual wrestler in there there are several. Uh, actual still performing pro wrestlers in this movie. Several of them got started old. Uh, Dave Bautista, for instance, when he was like a huge deal in WWE, he was 40. He's an old dude. Uh, he was able to keep that physique on for so long. My choice is replacing uh, Bob Ayatola with a guy named Ron Simmons, who was the first black champion in professional wrestling. And Ron Simmons uh, performed under the name Farouk. And Farouk was part of a stable called the Nation of Domination, which is where a young Dwayne The Rock Johnson got his start in the WWE. So our answers were through a long list of uh, wrestling lore somehow connected. So, yeah, I want Ron Simmons in there, especially since he was well known for being like a really tough guy in like on tour and being hard on rookies to see him play the rather affable bob the ayatollah who has a good post wrestling career i think that would be that would be fun
0: wow he was he's in the college football hall of fame too that's right
1: florida state
0: yeah florida state drafted into the nfl but yeah obviously obviously a big time wrestler
1: and uh dwayne the rock johnson played at miami i believe huh Okay so uh, now let's get to some cinematic stuff Kevin, what is your best shot of this movie?
0: Um, this was a tough one. there's a couple I could have went with uh, and I, I'm gonna go I, I just don't really like picking one of them because there's like three that I feel really good about but I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> go with the uh, with the finale the, the, the final scene uh, where he climbs up on the ropes uh,
1: that whole that whole scene. I think it's just like awesome. Yes, I, I, I know what you mean. Lizzie, what is your best shot?
2: Oh my gosh, that's my best scene as well. <laughs> I uh, I like, The camera is hitting him from behind and he's climbing up the ropes and you can see is his little body is shaking so much yeah. to get up on the top of the rope. No, his, his big body isn't a little body, but his, his body is um, shaking up top of the ropes and he's trying so hard. And he's quite literally dying as as he's doing it. And I, I just – I thought that that scene of him trying to keep his balance on this very small little rope just felt like an amalgam of his life. Like I was like this just hmm. feels like this one shot is tying up this entire movie and his whole life in this one little scene.
1: Wow, what a great way of putting it! And also, it's it's the movie poster, guys. We're three for three again. Oh, did you look at <laughs> <it? laughs> <laughs> Under best shot, I put just four words: the last tearful ram jam.
2: Yep. Well, oh. I mean, it's it was it so is. good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's, good. It's the best for a
0: reason.
1: Yeah, and it was the best. All right, best scene. So larger scale, Kevin.
0: So I'm I'm gonna go with like his his storm out. Uh, of the deli. I I really like that, but you could argue for some, some other ones as well. And I'm I'm trying to kind of go off the rails a little bit here with this pick.
1: Yeah. Uh, No matter how far you go off the rails, we're going to follow because we are going to pick the same scene. Uh, Lizzie, (laughs) what is is your best scene?
2: I did not pick the same scene, uh, (laughs) but I picked the bar scene. I think that him, that scene where he's clapping and he's like, you know, come, come dance with me. Yeah. And he's playing around this is with- This stuff,
1: Cassidy.
2: man. Yeah, and he's like, you know, talking about Kurt Cobain and, you know, dogging <laughs> him. And it's just, to me, that's the only time that you really just see him connecting with another person and in a true, genuine way. And I just, I, that for me, I watched that scene and i had thought that the movie was going to have a lot of hope and that this was going to we're going to turn a corner we sure didn't but (laughs) i um (laughs) but but i was really hopeful in that moment so it's my favorite scene for that reason
1: all right you guys aren't going to believe this but i wrote two best scenes stop it (laughs) the first one is the bar scene with cassidy because (laughs) we got a glimmer of something that could be good for randy even if it's fleeting it's hope i even said the same thing maybe that means we'll be let down later It's Aronofsky. Of course we will. But in the moment, it's cute. And he's dancing. I'm going to dance like that from now on. I'm dancing like that on our camera right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was like, but you know what? It's actually followed up with the walk to the deli counter job. And this was some good Aronofsky stuff here where we still have the behind the back shot. And it's following him through the corridors of the Acme Mart same way that the camera follows wrestlers as they're making their way backstage to the big show. And you can, if you have subtitles turned on, it'll spoil it for you, but it'll actually say crowd roaring. (laughs) As he's going to the deli counter, they have input the crowd noise from the wrestling shows. And I I just got to say that was masterful. Really Uh, Yeah, we are. <laughs> no matter where you drive, <laughs> Kevin,
0: we're I, right behind I, you. That, right. I love that detail. I I might have missed, or I might have heard that. I don't remember. But and then the way he's just, you know, you're behind the deli, you're on stage, you're, everybody's looking at you, and you're, he's <laughs> yeah. performing. You know, like he, he's killing it. I mean, talk about you know a cool guy to be. You know, working at a deli to be buying meat from. That's that's who I want working yeah. at my deli until he gets you know upset. <laughs> then I yeah. don't want oh. to <laughs>
1: Oh, I was on pins and needles when that woman was telling him too much. Oh, man. oh that was,
2: that was yeah. brutal. At some yeah. point, like just take – like it's 50 cents worth of pasta yeah. salad. Just take it. and <laughs> just it. It. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> yeah.
2: I think you get one adjustment and that's it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair. My sister uh, worked at a deli counter for a while. and She was saying that like you can only do it for so long. Eventually it will get to you. Uh, Kevin, what's your best wardrobe or best makeup moment? All of the, the wrestling stuff
0: is great. Uh, the, 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 uh, this, the fight with the, the necro guy was just, Ooh. it was yeah. just nasty. And, um, I don't know if that was real or makeup. I don't know. I, I don't want to underestimate how hard they went to make this look real. Uh, yeah. maybe they maybe this was real. I don't know. But that was like, that sticks out as just like, ugh. and, uh. That, uh, that'll be
1: my pick there. Yeah. And it's a good pick. You have to presume they, m- m- whether through some type of full body prosthesis or like a, like a latex covering somehow, I don't know either, but yeah, it, it really did stand out. What about you, Lizzie?
2: I, I put the razor blade. I know that technically it's
1: wardrobe. Yeah.
2: <laughs> An object might not be the wardrobe piece, but because he puts it on his body, I feel like it counts. It counts. And um, I really, the, as I said earlier, that caught me so off guard and up, from the maybe three minutes that that was put in on his wrist until he actually used it, I'm on the edge of my seat. like what is he gonna do with this? what is what is he about to do with <laughs> this? Why did he just tape that in his And so I um, that captivated me.
1: Yeah. Uh, mine is I, I actually I, I couldn't pin one down. Uh, no pun intended, no pin intended. Uh, no tack intended. but the his hair transformation throughout the movie. When he's getting it professionally done, when he's not getting it professionally done, and when he hasn't gotten it done in a while, and it like looks just like a straight white, I, I think that shows us it, it really re- like the the grayness of the area, but it also makes him appear aged. Um, he still looks fantastic with like his Jean jacket, like he's still in great shape, but the hair really shows like the amount of work he has to go into to keep up this character. Um, which is the, the classic, I think this was once used with Justin Timberlake, but the classic ramen noodle color hair.
2: Um,
0: yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it makes a lot of sense for that type of character. All right. A couple left. Kevin, you got to change one thing about this movie. What do you change?
0: I mean, I'll cop out by saying I don't want to change anything. I love this movie. And I think it's nearly perfect the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am going to give you guys an extremely hot take here. Um, I would be okay with if at the end, given who Aronofsky is, if there was some sort of, just for a moment, like a supernatural little like mm-hmm. ram transformation happening. <laughs> um, yeah. there, yeah. Black Swan. There's something yep. like that there. I haven't seen yes. the whale, but that's another animal. I don't, I wouldn't be shocked if there was something there. And they really I
1: mean, use makeup well to transform uh... Brandon Fraser.
0: Yeah, and and the Ram Jam. If it was just like even something out of the corner of your eye, you see a you know a horn or something like that. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be against that at at the end. I don't think it ruins it. I think it adds more mystique to it.
1: Okay, I wouldn't be against it either. It would. <laughs> it, it, I tonally it seems odd, but I like odd. I, I'm I'm actually for it. Or if you were to hear some type of like a Billy Goat like just some, like sound, know, yeah.
0: Leave it up to Aronofsky. I mean he clearly chose not to do it, but
1: yeah. Yeah. And he did he but he does play around with sound. Uh what about you, Lizzie? What are you changing?
0: Okay,
2: follow me on this journey really quickly. So he's at the hospital, right? And they he's getting ready to go home and he looks to see that his bright green sweatpants. Have been cut in order to give him surgery, right? And so he looks at his fancy pants and is all disappointed that they're cut and just tosses them in the trash. So we're not doing that in my version. We're going to take them home with us (laughs) and sew them back up together. Maybe he has a friend or maybe it's Cassidy. Who knows?
1: At the, in the life, they would have to do this work themselves. There's no seamstress doing this work.
2: Yes, who knows? So somebody is finished. So, some friend with a sewing kit is yeah. going to fix his pants for him. So he fixes his pants. These are the very pants that he is wearing <laughs> when he goes to fight Ayatollah <laughs> and Cassidy in the her big scene where she's like, "I'm here. Don't go. Don't go." He he goes. He agrees. He's going to leave. And he goes into the dressing room, he changes into his streetwear, and he doesn't know what the next steps are gonna be. He takes his fancy pants, and that's when he tosses them. That's when he tosses them.
1: Okay, so pretty huge virgin. change. So you really buried the lead there. The huge change <laughs> is that he doesn't go to his last ride with his final Ram Jam. But you made it all about when he dumps the pants. The
2: pants are important because the pants can represent like they're ripped and they're broken, and he's like, "Oh no, like the, my pants, my career, my life, it's ripped, and I'm gonna fix it." And then now Not I'm gonna throw it away because I don't need it anymore. The <laughs> pants, are, <laughs> the, the pants are more than pants. Um, but yeah, ultimately he's gonna go with Cassidy. That's that's the big thing. Yeah,
1: I'm yeah. Well, it makes sense. I'm glad we were along for that ride. Mine is green adjacent. So uh, it might change one thing is I do think the bleak level is in the perfect bleak range it needs to be. Um, I'd like to see Stephanie more successful. She's kind of on her way towards what her life could be with the odds stacked against her from being young without a father. Um, And I'd like her to be successful. And when he gives the two gifts, the joke gift of the ugly jacket with the S on it, and then the real <laughs> gift of the pea coat, I'd like to see a scene where she's successful, or like in the middle of her everyday life, or maybe he's like driving by, like checking up on her, and she's like having a game night with her friends, or she's doing some studying at the library, and she's wearing the ugly jacket. Love it! Like that. I
2: think that would have been cute. Love that. I Can I like crank
1: up the hope a little bit more God. before you rip my spine out, please?
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> or, or maybe
1: so the, she shows up to the final match and is
0: wearing oh, it, something
2: yeah. like that. Yes, that would have been a good one. Wearing the S jacket, yeah. I like it.
0: I love yeah, that S jacket.
1: And, <laughs> and hey, this he he's up on the turnbuckle and he's, he puts the hands up on his heads and he sees in the in the crowd like she's like excited and cheering for him. I don't know. That might be a pretty huge swing but I'd like to see her in that jacket
2: our worlds could collide because he could be wearing the fancy pants see Stephanie Uh in her green jacket and that's what gets him to walk away and throw away the fancy pants and then
1: they all go out and have an ice cream con
2: that's right yeah
1: (laughs) I like that ending Uh, we'd have to distract Darren get him involved with something else while we edit real quick All right, last one what's your best quote Kevin? Can I go
0: second on this one?
1: (laughs) yeah you can go second Uh, Lizzie what is your best quote?
2: Okay. So I kind of went surface level here just because it made me laugh when the manager of the ring is like, I have two words for you, rematch. And then for whatever reason, that just tickled me. So I thought, I thought that was kind of cute and silly.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I'll jump in with my best quote here, and I have two. I'm cheating. Uh, the first best quote is, use his leg, use his leg. <laughs> and the crowd is trying to get him to, and he does. I was worried that that could go way off the rails, like he smashes him with the leg and breaks it. Uh, it didn't happen. But the more meaningful quote is at the end, and there are a lot of good monologues from uh, Mickey Rourke here, but uh, before he he's going through the explaining part to Cassidy Pam, and he says, the only place I get hurt is out there.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: I know what I'm doing. Uh, and, and I thought that was, that that stuck with me. And, and since the, I watched the movie a couple of days ago, I've actually rewatched the ending scene a couple of times. It's powerful. Uh, Kevin, you wanted to go last. What is your best quote?
0: Yeah, that's the best quote for me too. Mm. Um, it, you know, I, I love that. And in the interest of giving an, an alternative option though, uh, uh, I, I like the quote about the three hundred dollars collector's item, and, yeah. and and then and then she's like, "Really?" And he says, "No, I just nah. I think that's a funny little exchange."
1: <laughs> it is a good exchange. So, hey, Kevin, uh, we're done with our superlatives. Before we get into our star rating and how we recommend this movie, uh, do you have anything to plug?
0: Um, I guess you could, for one, if you want to see my movie reviews, follow me on Letterbox.
1: Nice. I don't know if you guys are on
0: there or not, but it's a great resource. Um, and then I'll throw a shout out. Definitely don't follow this if you uh, if you aren't <laughs> if you aren't in our fantasy football league. But we do a, a fantasy football podcast where we might start doing some movie coverage. Oh. Uh, but it's called the Bruise Brothers Power Hour, and uh, you can oh. you know it's nice. it's just a goofy thing we do. But if, if you like hearing some some movie stuff, we do we do it from time to time there.
1: The Bruise Brothers Power Hour. You got to check it out. I will, because uh, some of the other hosts of this podcast will know that I am the fantasy football champion this year. Oh, wow. Nice. i will definitely have to, well, after coming in at 10th place last year. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, let's give this a star rating. Uh, it is out of five stars. We do have star intervals if you'd like. So, Kevin, what do you rate The Wrestler from 2008?
0: I will give it four and a half stars.
1: Four and a half, and we knew that you liked it a lot.
0: No, I, I mean it's uh, it's probably one of my fifty favorite movies ever. Uh, just something about it really sticks with me, and I think it's very rewatchable as well. So uh, you know, that's it's. I could argue. I'd be. I'm pushing closer to five stars than four four stars.
1: Lizzie, what are you rating this movie?
2: So I went with three and a half stars, and mm. for me. The performances were amazing. I think the the story from a high level is fantastic. For me personally, it doesn't have rewatchability in the same way that I don't ever feel the desire to rewatch Requiem for a Dream. It's just <laughs> I really appreciate it for what it is. And I have a deep respect for the actual movie and the performances and just the source material, but it's not a movie that I I'm not the demographic of someone that would want to turn this on on a rainy day. And that's <laughs> typically how I tend to the, the barometer in which I rate my movies. So for me, it's a three and a half.
1: And I'm going to fall right in between you guys with a four and I'll put rewatchability in there for a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm a four leaning 4.5 because I've got it. I've actually got a big pro wrestling history pedigree. I got out at the right time when it was getting a little too crazy for me, but I will say like, I love to rewatch movies with like football game or several football games and you see all the plays and you see the jukes or basketball or other sports. But to see his body put through all that so many times, it does wear on my own body watching it. Uh, So that's part of why I would go maybe – Closer to the four instead of four point five, but I do think uh, it is uh, a recommendable movie, and I do recommend watching it, especially if you if you don't know what it's about, um, and if you didn't see who directed it. I think it's uh, <laughs> it's it's worth your time. So yeah, we uh, are hovering right around the same area. Now uh, we are going to close out our amazing award season with some. Movies for next week. Lizzie, can you help me out here?
2: Yes. I don't know about you, Dustin, but I feel like I need a palate cleanser (laughs) after all of of these heavy topics. So this this next week, we are going to be talking about all things fun and silly. We've got three (laughs) classic comedy musicals to pick from. All right. So we've got option one, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum from 1966. A wily Roman slave schemes to earn his freedom by romantically uniting his master with a courtesan. But matters get complicated when he ends up dragging his neighbors around him, leading to chaos. Option two, the court jester from 1955. A hapless carnival performer masquerades as the court jester as a part of a plot against an evil ruler who has overthrown the rightful king. Finally, option three, how to succeed in business without really trying from 1967. Armed with the titular manner, an ambitious window washer seeks to climb the corporate ladder. What's it going to be?
1: You're right. We need a palate cleanser. Uh, I'm going to go with A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum.
2: Nice. Good choice.
1: That's a recent one, right? No, that's what, 60 years ago? All right.
0: 66.
1: (laughs) Retro movie indeed. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, this was a blast. Hopefully, if if I'm on again, hopefully we can uh, do maybe a happier movie. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah next time <laughs> and thank you all you lords ladies and knights of the retro movie round table we invite you to reach out to us we want to hear from you subscribe rate and review to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast stitcher pandora or wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to our youtube channel it's mostly audio only but we're adding some fun things in here or there give us a like on facebook instagram and follow us on twitter at movie underscore retro email us at retro movie Roundtable yahoo.com Hey, producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Retro Movie Roundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Lizzie?
2: Without rain, nothing grows. Learn to embrace the storms of your life.